This episode of No Meat Athlete Radio is brought to you by Rebels Super Herb Elixirs, made with real food ingredients to de-stress and re-energize your body and mind. Learn more at rebel.co, that's R-E-B-B-L dot C-O, and keep listening for details on a giveaway later in the show. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Welcome, everybody, to No Meat Athlete Radio, episode 158. And, Doug, it is a new sponsor Thursday. New sponsor. Cash in our pocket. Yes, and they are actually very good drinks. I was quite pleased with the samples that we have tried. Uh, So thank you, Rebel, for being our new sponsor. Anyway, we've got installment four of, or should we say maybe session number four of no Meat Athlete Radio's summer running camp today with special guest counselor emeritus Jason Fitzgerald. <laughs> That's right. This is kind of a bonus episode because I think last time, or a bonus week at camp, because last time we said there was only going to be one more, but here we are with two more in the in the plans. Right. We, we got an opportunity, fell into our lap to, to have a, a nice guest, whatever you would call him, lecturer, counselor, something Theme in, in salute your shorts. Did they ever have any sort of guest appearance that we might <laughs> might parallel this I with? I don't know. I don't think so. I wasn't quite big enough a fan to remember that, like a good cameo or something by somebody. Maybe, maybe. But um, you know, but but really, it's been a long summer of summer camp, and so I'm thinking I should take this week off. <laughs> I think that's a good idea, Doug. You should take this week off. Um, so this is going to be good. We're going to be talking not about beginner stuff like we so often do. But more of an advanced, I guess you could say an intermediate as well, marathon advice stuff for someone who's already done a marathon or maybe even a few, maybe not yet getting the results they want. And uh, and Jason's got a lot of great stuff for, for people like that. So I'm looking forward to the little little change of pace here. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to a day by the by the campsite lake, stretching out my legs, and <laughs> kicking back and not worrying at all about the podcast. <laughs> Good. Yeah. All right. Well, enjoy your little your little canoe ride or whatever you, whatever it is you do. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's get to it. All right. Let's do it. Okay. Hey, everyone. Matt here, joined by my buddy Jason Fitzgerald, who doesn't really know about our Salute Your Shorts theme to this whole summer running camp we are doing, unless Jason is a secret avid NMA radio listener, which I somehow doubt. While I've listened to a few episodes, uh, I have to say I'm not a consistent listener, but I hope we're talking about the Salute Your Shorts (laughs) 1990s TV show. Yeah, that's kind of in... uh... A running joke that we, I guess in the first, we started talking about running camp and then snapping towels and eating gruel in the mess hall and then sponge and donkey lips and Budnick all came up. And uh, so it's just been, I mean, there's been a few running tips sprinkled into this running camp, but mostly it's just been a bunch of salute your shorts jokes and references. (laughs) Well, the only episode I remember is when one person wanted to gain weight. So he sat in a wheelbarrow and (laughs) ate bananas all day while someone who wanted to lose weight would run around with him. I have definitely seen that and hadn't thought of that episode in probably 25 years. <laughs> I love it. That's pretty funny, especially considering the, the whole uh, 30 bananas a day thing. Those people, I, they don't usually do that to gain weight, though. That's more of a something that will thin you out, probably. Good. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with how the, all the fruit works. <laughs> Stay away from all that. Good. Okay, well, um, 
so this you you are a special guest counselor or whatever we might might be calling you for this uh, running camp and the reason we even thought to do this I was funny it didn't really occur to us to have a guest for this thing uh, to Doug and I but then yesterday last night you and I did a Run Your BQ webinar that was for everybody our, our first shot at like just doing a big public webinar that we called I think we called it How to Run Your Fastest Marathon Ever uh, I did promote that on the podcast last week but given that podcasts, you know, people don't listen to that with the urgency that they necessarily open an email. So I'm I'm sure lots of people didn't make the webinar. If you actually want to go check out the replay of that webinar, which will be available for just a few days after this podcast first goes live, uh, you can do that at nomadathlete.com slash replay. And we talked about a bunch of different marathon topics, but what we're talking about today is going to be stuff that is somewhat different from that. Not all that different, but somewhat different. And that is advanced marathon training and racing, and the reason I guess we're losing we're using the term advanced uh, fairly loosely here, uh, mainly just as as something to distinguish this topic from what we typically talk about on Nomad Athlete Radio, which is more beginner stuff when it comes to running. And, and I don't mean that in like a derogatory way at all. Uh, it's just that I mean, what makes Nomad Athlete the audience, what makes them alike and and unique among audiences, is the plant based thing. That's that's kind of our our thing. And so like that, we go deep into plant based stuff. When it comes to running, I mean, I think we typically keep it pretty general and kind of beginner focused, uh, maybe intermediate sometimes. So this is a nice, different episode, way to change it up. Uh, and you're a good guy to talk to, Jason. You you obviously know uh, lots and lots of stuff about marathon training. Uh, you're a coach, USATF certified coach, a 239 marathoner, which is, you know, just mind-blowingly fast to someone like me and most people listening to this. So I am excited to get into some of these uh, these more advanced more expert topics. Yeah, I'm excited. Marathon training is one of the, my favorite topics to discuss, so we can really dive deep here into some more advanced uh, training strategies. Cool. All right. And we should mention, just since we haven't yet, uh, that your blog is strengthrunning.com, which we've mentioned a lot of times. Doug and I always tend to reference it for the strength workouts and different routines and things you have over there. Uh, but if anyone's never been, go check out strengthrunning.com. So with that, let's get into it. Uh, I think I think a place to start is really just with with a bit of background, like like what is the difference between someone who's training for their first marathon and someone who's training for their could be their second, could be their fifth marathon. Just someone who has has developed or established a level of comfort with the marathon that you definitely don't have that first time you're building up the mileage. Um, it's something I've been through, but I want to hear what your perspective is. Like, what what do you think are the big differences that that you should be focused on during those two different types of training for a marathon? Great question. So, I think a beginner is someone who is focused on finishing the distance and successfully crossing the finish line. So, you know, their training is going to look different. Um, you know, they're going to be focused on increasing their long run and getting their long run up to a distance that uh, will then tell them that they're capable of finishing a 26.2 mile race. Uh, and also I, I think another big difference is in the mindset of a beginner runner, you know, someone who's never tackled a marathon before, you know, they understandably probably have uh, a little bit of fear or anxiety or nerves about the marathon distance. So, uh, they're, they're just going to be a little bit more cautious and conservative with their training and they're going to do, um, you know, the training that will help them finish a marathon. And then, you know, when you get more advanced, when you start thinking about, uh, improving on your finish time and running a personal best time, that's when you have uh, a more advanced run 
runner who is, uh, you know, they're not doing long runs just to make sure that they finish the marathon. They're doing more advanced long runs to make sure that they can actually run a, a, a solid pace for 26.2 miles. And, uh, you know, their, their training is much more, uh, aggressive. So they're just, they're doing more, they're doing more mileage. They're doing more consistent long runs. They're doing more difficult long runs. Uh, their workouts are going to be more challenging. And, uh, you know, that all kind of falls in line with their mindset. And so, uh, as opposed to a beginner who's focused on finishing and who might be uh, a little intimidated by the marathon, uh, understandably, a more advanced runner has probably already run a marathon or two or a few. And, you know, they're not concerned with finishing the marathon. They know they're going to finish the marathon. The goal then is to see how fast they can do it. So their training is going to look different and uh, they're just going to be a lot more confident about uh, tackling a faster marathon. And they're just going to, you know, run that that line a little bit of, of really pushing the envelope with their training, uh, with their pacing strategy for the race and really seeing, <clears throat> excuse me, seeing what their body is capable of uh, on race day. So, you know, there's, I think there's, there's training differences and then there's definitely mindset differences too. Yeah. I think, uh, I like, I like the way that you worded it in, in saying that for someone who's running a first marathon, uh, a lot of it is about being conservative because there's, there's a lot to, to lose, right? I mean, if you get injured, which is kind of the, the big enemy that everybody's fighting as they train for a first marathon or everybody's, I guess, say avoiding, um, you know, that, that's the thing that can happen. Disaster can strike and then your marathon doesn't happen. And then basically you have, you have failed in this attempt to go do this thing. Whereas if, if everything goes well, and let's say you were to take a bunch of risks and, and train really hard and do a bunch of tough workouts and do some extra 20 milers, like it's a first marathon. So, so what, what you get when you finish that first marathon usually is that you finish a first marathon, you get the medal, you like, that's, that is the award, not the medal, but the, the finishing of the race. Um, I feel like there's not a huge reward for, for pushing it, taking all these risks in the training. Um, whereas once you've, once you've already done that and you're confident with running, then first of all, you don't have to be as, as conservative. As you said, you can be aggressive. Um, because I feel like then, then there is something to gain right now. Now there is something to gain from getting five minutes faster or 10 minutes faster than you were before. Suddenly you start thinking more about time and there's a reason to actually be more aggressive, more risky in your training. So I think that's a, that's a really good distinction. Uh, it's, it's a lesson that took me a while to learn. I, I, feel like I ran several first marathons because it was so long between my first two because I had all these injury issues. Um, so I, I kind of got stuck in that beginner's mindset for probably a, probably a few marathons longer than I should. And I was just running one 20 miler, would never do more than that because I thought, you know, you can't run more than one 20 miler in your training and that you should always run these these long runs at a, at a very slow pace, that conversational easy pace that we do for our easy runs. Um, and it wasn't until I like made the distinction that I should actually once I was comfortable with the distance that I, I, that it was perfectly okay and not just okay, but, but advisable to get more 20 milers in there and start pushing the pace on them, whether it was like in a progressive long run fashion or just doing a long run at, at, you know, 45 seconds or 30 seconds off of marathon pace per mile. Uh, and then once I started doing that, I got, got great results, but so like very different types of training plans for different, for different goals, whether it's first time or trying to improve on your time. Um, other than other than that, like the, the the fact that you would like to be doing more long runs and want to be start experimenting or, or pushing those long runs, are there other considerations that you make? Like when say you're divide, designing a schedule for somebody and you've got a beginner runner that you're working with who wants to run their first marathon, 
um, versus someone who's run three or four and, and has, has run some solid times. Like what are the big differences in that training schedule? We can get to specific workouts in a minute, but like just overall, are there, are there differences that kind of run throughout? There are. And I think the biggest difference is simply workload and workload is just how much work you're doing per week. And it's best measured by weekly mileage, but, uh, you also need to understand like how much of your weekly mileage is run at a faster pace. So if you're running 40 miles a week with eight miles of harder running in say two or three workouts over the week, you're running uh, 40 miles with 20% of your mileage at um, you know a, a hard effort. And that's a pretty good workload. Now, if you're someone who's running 20 miles a week with no hard workouts, your workload is obviously a lot lower. And for beginner runners, that's where they're at. You know, their workload is just a lot lower and you need to bring them along much more gradually and much more carefully to not only help prevent injuries, but also just to make sure that they don't get overtrained. Uh, you know, when you stack on a lot of mileage and you start doing harder workouts at the same time, if they're not used to that, then that's just a great recipe for overtraining and burnout. And so we don't want that. Um, and, and the difference here between a beginner and a more advanced runner is that the more advanced runner is going to be able to do harder workouts. And, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to do a lot of hard workouts before a marathon because, you know, after all, the marathon is 99% aerobic, meaning, you know, it's run at a pace that, you know, you're using oxygen, you're not, it's not that leg burning type of uh, fiery pain that you get at the end of a 5k. Uh, It's just, it's just cumulative fatigue in a marathon, which is very different. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the advanced runners can handle uh, a little bit more difficult workouts throughout their training. And uh, they can simply just run more of their mileage at a hard at a harder pace too. they might run, you know, about 20% of their mileage at uh, a hard effort, whereas a beginner might only be doing five to 10% kind of depends on the athlete and, and how experienced they are. But, you know, from a very just high level, it all comes down to workload, uh, both mileage and uh, general intensity of the program. Gotcha. All right. So I want to get into workouts and then, uh, and then also what we mentioned kind of the pacing and the stuff that you actually do on race day. Cause the, the same kind of concepts, the idea of being conservative versus being aggressive also comes down to pacing, right? I mean, if you're, if it's a, your first marathon ever, it's a pretty silly idea to, to go out at a pace that's really anywhere near what you think is your limit. I mean, it's just, it's just like, what, what's the point of risking that when, the downside is you don't finish your marathon or you have a disastrous marathon. And the plus side is you finish two, three, four minutes faster than you might otherwise. Uh, whereas someone who's an advanced marathoner, you know, might have plenty of reasons to really push that pace and be right at the edge uh, to see what, what they can run for a PR. Before we get to that, Jason, I want to uh, take a minute. We have a brand new sponsor and we want to thank them quickly. We'd like to thank this week's sponsor of Nomad Athlete Radio, Rebel, and their delicious super herb elixirs and proteins. With flavors ranging from mocha cold brew to ashwagandha chai, there's a flavor for everyone. I personally love the dark chocolate with 16 grams of protein. Rebel's elixirs and protein drinks are made with coconut milk and super herbs to de-stress and re-energize your body and mind. With the exception of two that use honey as a sweetener, all the rest are completely plant-based, certified organic, non-GMO, and soy-free. Rebel has been gracious enough to give away a full case of Rebel Elixirs to one lucky listener. All you have to do is head on over to the show notes of today's episode at nomadathlete.com slash radio-158 
and leave us a comment about the show. Oh, and it wouldn't hurt if you hit up Rebel on Facebook or Twitter. We'll choose one U.S.-based winner to receive a free case of these delicious elixirs before next Thursday, September 8th. To learn more about Rebel, find them online at rebel.co, R-E-B-B-L dot C-O, and click the Where to Buy button at the top to find the elixirs in a store near you. Okay, we are back. Uh, let's get into some workouts, Jason, for an advanced marathoner, meaning someone who's done a couple of them or feels comfortable. Uh, specific workouts. What what can we what you know? What could somebody do? Someone who's run a marathon or two. What could they add to their training program or replace probably a workout in the training program with a good marathon specific advanced workout? Right. So, you know, I mentioned before that the marathon is almost entirely aerobic. Um, and, and this means that it's long enough that you can't run too hard for the whole race. And so your workouts need to mimic the demands of the race itself. This is the rule of specificity of training. And, you know, what I see a lot is a lot of runners are doing, uh, you know, short repetitions on the track, like 400 meters, 800 meters, something like that. And they're doing them really fast. They're doing them at 5K pace uh, or even faster. And these are great workouts for getting faster, but they're not great workouts for getting faster in the marathon. Because if you do these types of workouts for too long of a time period, you're going to burn out. If you do them uh, too early in your training cycle, uh, you're just going to get really fried really early and you're just going to fizzle out and get overtrained. And so the types of workouts that are most beneficial for marathoners are more aerobic workouts. And so there's three here that I want to touch on. Um, And I think it's important to note that all of these workouts are applicable to beginners and to uh, more advanced runners. The only difference here is the length of the workout is going to be shorter for a beginner. And you may include a little bit more recovery in between. So I'll give you a great example. So a really great workout for a marathoner is a lactate threshold run, otherwise known as a tempo run. And these are runs that are run right at your lactate threshold, which is kind of right on the point where your body begins to go anaerobic. And it teaches your body to process that lactate in your bloodstream much more efficiently. And so essentially what it does is it allows you to run at a faster effort for a longer period of time. And so it's one of the best workouts available for endurance. And, you know, for an advanced runner, they might do five to seven mile tempo runs. So after a couple miles uh, of easy running to warm up, they can speed up to their tempo pace and then they'll hold that for, you know, up to seven miles or so. They'll run a couple more easy miles and, you know, they might do 11 or 12 miles total with a seven mile tempo. Now, for a beginner, that run looks a little bit different. They might run uh, two easy miles to warm up and then do, um, you know, a three mile tempo run, but they'll break it up into one mile segments. So they might do uh, three times a mile at your tempo pace, but after each mile, they might jog really easy for, you know, a minute to two minutes just to help clear some excess lactate that's been building up in, in their muscles. And, and then afterwards, they'll run for uh, another couple miles and, you know, this run might only be seven or eight miles. Mm-hmm. And so the difference here is the, the beginner is obviously going to be running their tempo pace a lot slower than the, the advanced runner. They're getting a recovery and they're just running less volume, uh, less total mileage for the day. But you can see how the workout is uh, very similar for uh, an advanced runner as it is for a beginner. 
Uh, and, and these runs are, uh, I think, applicable to both types, both groups of athletes. And when you say tempo pace, Jason, and you said that it will be different depending on whether you're a beginner or advanced runner, um, what, what's a good guideline? Like, how, how do you figure out what that tempo pace is? I know when I've done these, pro, I, by the way, these I really do love tempo runs. They are very difficult. Each mile feels like you can't possibly do that next mile. You've got to get done. Uh, and then somehow you get there and you're like, well, I can do one more mile. And then you just you just finish the workout and, and you end up feeling really good, like you worked hard the whole time, which you did. Uh, so I really like these, but you know I just would follow the pace that was prescribed in the plan uh, and didn't really know if I was basing it off of. Obviously, you're not quite doing a 10k pace, right? Because you're you're running longer than 10k sometimes. Uh, so where where do you where do you figure out the pace for this? Yeah, so there's three different ways that you can figure out your tempo pace. Um, you know, you can run by perceived effort and simply try to run a comfortably hard pace and you know, this is, it's a little hard for a lot of runners today who are totally slaves to their GPS watches, uh, to, to go on perceived effort rather than a strict pace. Um, and so if you don't want to use the perceived effort and go at a comfortably hard effort, then you can use, uh, about your one hour race pace. So if you are in good shape, it's the pace that you could theoretically hold for about an hour. So for some runners, that might be their 10K pace. So if you've run a 10K and your best time ever is 60 minutes on the dot, that's your tempo pace. Um, you know, a lot of runners, it might be between their 10K and uh, 10-mile race pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's how to use uh, an actual race pace and base your tempo off of that. And the other way is by heart rate. Uh, typically lactate threshold or tempo runs are somewhere around 85 to 90% of your maximum heart rate. Uh, and I, I would encourage everyone not to use the 220 minus your age calculation. Just if you're, if you have a heart rate monitor and you love using it, wear it for a 5k race that you run as hard as you can, or use it for a really, really hard workout. And that will give you a much more accurate maximum heart rate. Uh, uh, and then a you 5K can base, will give you will give you something close to a max. Yeah, if you're running a 5K uh, really hard at a at a true 100 percent effort maximum intensity, mm-hmm. then yeah, 5K should give you a max heart rate. Okay. Good. Just make sure that last mile uh, is is truly grueling, <laughs> and you'll be all set. <laughs> Sounds like every 5K that I do, which is terrible. <laughs> 5Ks are a hard event. They're awful. Yeah, I, I would much rather run a marathon. I know people don't believe that. Uh, but they just hurt in a, in a different way, and it is not a pleasant way. Yeah, I kind of compare a marathon to like sitting in a 105-degree hot tub for like four hours, whereas <laughs> running a 5K is like sticking your hand in a boiling pot of water. Right, right. That Yeah, that's that's a good analogy. All right, so what else we got? Tempo run, what else uh, What else might someone do for as an advanced marathoner? Yeah, so tempo runs are really great for, you know, I would say the bulk of your entire marathon training cycle. You know, you should be doing some type of tempo running from, you know, the early phases of training all the way through to, you know, almost the taper period of training, which is the last two to three weeks of a training plan. Um, But, you know, in the very beginning of a training cycle for the marathon, it's usually advisable to do some easier workouts, uh, do some workouts that aren't as demanding as a tempo run. Uh, And I always like to talk about progressions, which is simply, you know, how do we get to where we want to go from where we are now? It's almost like walking up a ladder. And so the earlier workouts, um, you know, the easier workouts help give you the foundation for those tempo runs. And those earlier workouts, there's two that I really like. First and foremost, uh, a fast finish run. And the fast finish run, it's not really that fast. It's 
um, you know, a pace that I like to call steady state pace or your aerobic threshold. And this will be a little bit slower than your your tempo pace, probably by, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30 seconds per mile, depending on the athlete. But uh, it's roughly in between your easy pace and your tempo pace. Uh, and if you're finishing a run with anywhere from one to four miles of steady state pace running, uh, you do that for a couple of weeks and then you can move into um, the next type of workout, which is called a progression run. And a progression run is very similar. Jason, sorry to interrupt you. Are you no, talking specifically ahead. about long runs right now? Is that when you talk about fast finish that that would be a long run versus some other workout? Uh, so not necessarily. You can do you can do the, your fast finish run as a workout during the week, okay. and then just run you know a long run on the weekend at an easy pace. Okay. Uh, you know more advanced runners. Uh, you know we can certainly talk about some advanced types of long runs, but you know uh, most advanced uh, marathoners will want to do some goal marathon pace running, which should be roughly similar to steady state pace running uh, at the end of their long runs. Uh, later in the training cycle. So, you know, the same workouts that are done at the beginning to help you prepare for tempo runs are done in the long run at the end of the cycle to help you prepare for the marathon. So they're just used for different things and at different times. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Continue. So the progression run. Yeah, the progression run, I, this is one of my favorite workouts personally. Uh, and it's similar to a fast finish run. Actually, it is a fast finish run, except you're not running the fast part at the same pace. You're running the fast run at a progressively faster pace. So, I mean, let's just say you go for a six-mile run and you're going to do the last two miles at a progression. And typically what you do in a progression is uh, if your easy pace is, say, let's say 10 minutes per mile, uh, you know, once you get to the last two miles, you start running a little bit faster. And let's say your tempo pace is 830 per mile. The couple miles there should gradually get faster and faster so that the last three to five minutes or so of the run is at your tempo pace. So the majority of the fast finish is, uh, you know, more, more like steady state pace running, but you're getting progressively faster and you're including just a little bit of tempo running at the very end. And, you know, for the marathon, this is really great because a, it's, it's an aerobic workout. You're not, you know, on the track busting out those crazy 400s or anything like that. Uh, and then B it's a really great workout for pace control. It's learning how to pace yourself, uh, and learning how to fine tune your pace and really just dig a little bit deeper and get a little bit faster uh, over, you know, a couple miles, which a lot of runners don't have that control. They don't have that pace control. And so it's really great exercise in in fine tuning that pace control and getting that runner ready for the longer, more challenging tempo runs that are coming up soon. Gotcha. So I, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier that I, I meant to address then. Um, but now that you've brought it up again. These these shorter runs that a lot of people do, the 400-meter interval things, the 800 meters, um, I haven't really heard people mention that what you did about them. Was it like the reason not to do that stuff or not to focus on that stuff is because of either the mental or physical burnout that it's going to cause if you do that stuff too early in a program uh, or potentially at all? Uh, is there is that the only reason not to do it? I mean, or do you think do you think it really... I mean, could it take away from your from your marathon or could it is it just the time that could be better spent doing something else? I mean, or is it mostly just that burnout factor that it's kind of just too much to handle? Uh, I would say burnout and the potential for injury is about half the reason to okay. skip those really tough workouts. Uh, the other reason is because uh, it's just not really that applicable to your marathon goals. You know, if you're trying to run a four hour marathon, you know, you're trying to run roughly nine minute pace. Uh, 
if you're running 400s on the track at seven minute pace, uh, it's just not specific to your goal and it's developing a different type of fitness that won't carry over very well to a solid marathon performance. So yeah, you're definitely right. It's going to lead to some, you know, physical burnout, mental burnout. It increases the injury risk, especially if you're doing them for a long period of time, uh, very early in the training cycle. And you're just better off doing some other types of workouts, you know, workouts that are uh, more appropriate for the marathon, workouts that don't have that injury risk, and that ultimately are going to help you with your end goal of a faster marathon. Mm-hmm. And what do you say to the people who argue like the CrossFit endurance people, which I, I really only know about from uh, Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Body, where they they claim that you know if just just doing that anaerobic stuff that that actually develops the aerobic system in its own way somehow, I, you know, I guess because it's harder than that. Right. So the background on that is that they've shown the kind of CrossFit style high intensity interval training to increase VO2 max uh, just about the same as, you know, the the longer, easier aerobic running. But the problem is that VO2 max is not necessarily correlated with performance. And that's what we're all that's what we focus on, right? It's your performance. It's what's your finish time is, especially if we're talking about advanced marathoners, you know, you care about your finish time. You don't care about what your VO two max is. Uh, and the problem is, uh, you know, I think the ultimate litmus test is, well, are the best runners in the world doing CrossFit endurance? And they're not, (laughs) you know, you look at any elite athlete, uh, any competitor who just competed at the Rio marathon, they're not doing CrossFit endurance. Guess what? They're running over 100 miles a week. They're running tempo runs. They're running fast finish long runs. Uh, they're working on the patient development of the aerobic metabolism, uh, as Coach Mark Wetmore might say from uh, University of Colorado Boulder. Uh, and they're not doing high-intensity interval training because they're not training for a high-intensity event. Gotcha. All right. I like it. Good. Good stuff. Uh, what else we got? More workouts? Or should we move on to um, uh, pacing? We can't talk about workouts since this is an advanced, um, you know, we're kind of focusing more on the advanced side of marathon training. You know, I, I think it'd be worth talking about uh, the harder workouts that come, you know, in, say in like the last third of a marathon training cycle. Okay. Let's do All it. right. So, um, you know, if you're a faster marathoner, then, you know, tempo pace is going to be faster than your race pace. And, you know, this concept of support paces, I think is really helpful. So support paces are paces that are uh, both faster and slower than your goal pace. So if you are a, uh, a marathoner who's hoping to run a marathon at eight minutes per mile and your tempo pace is 745 or 730 per mile, that's a really great example of a support pace. Um, and, and that's going to really help you uh, help the marathon pace feel a lot easier in addition to all the actual fitness gains that you get from that. Uh, and, th- and then there's paces that are going to be slower than your marathon pace. You know, your steady state or aerobic threshold pace might be closer to 830 per mile. So now you can see uh, that, you know, during the training plan, you're working both faster and slower than uh, your goal pace. And then, of course, there's going to be some goal pace running in your plan as well. So you're kind of uh, working the the goal pace at all angles, a little bit faster, a little bit slower, right on. And, you know, that's really helpful and, and something I think a lot of runners do, not just advanced 
runners, but but beginners can can work on this principle too. Now, where it changes for advanced athletes is that you know in the last say four to six weeks or so before the marathon, they may want to uh, add in another support pace that is even faster than tempo pace. And for more advanced runners, it's usually their 10k pace. And the reason for that is for uh, developing efficiency at oxygen delivery. You know, you really want to make sure that you can deliver as much oxygen as possible to your working muscles. And at the same time, your body is really efficient at removing lactate from your bloodstream. And the benefit to putting a workout where you're doing some uh, harder 10K paced intervals is that you're introducing a lot more lactate into the bloodstream. So you're, you're really getting that kind of burning sensation that you do in a shorter race. And you're forcing your body to clear that lactate. Uh, you're, you're really focusing on uh, stroke volume of your heart. So your heart is getting really strong in this kind of uh, more intense workout. Um, but the caveat here is that we're only going to do these workouts for four to six weeks. And we don't need to do a lot of volume. You know, we might do three to seven miles of tempo paced running. But, you know, even for advanced runners, you kind of want to limit this to like three, four, maybe five miles, depending on the level of the runner, uh, of running at 10K pace. Uh, and the workouts will typically be structured very differently. You know, it won't be like four miles at 10K pace. It'll be, um, you know, something more like, you know, five times a thousand meters at 10K pace or four times a mile or something like that. We're going to break up the distance and give you some some uh, recovery there to help process the, the extra byproducts of exercise that are just accumulating in your bloodstream. Good, good stuff. This is uh, this is nerding out way more than we than we typically do. Um, yeah, I'm nerding <laughs> out more than I typically do. This <laughs> right. is fun for me. Good. I, I'm glad we brought that out in you. Uh, so for someone who is hearing this, and we will keep going with with the racing stuff, but um, I'm just I'm just imagining heads exploding, thinking like, okay, I want to work this into my training plan. I want to work this in and this in and this in, but not really knowing what to do. And obviously, we can't get into. I mean, and podcast is probably not the format to to convey a marathon training plan anyway. Um, I mean, what do you even look for if if you're to go to a coach or you're to go, you know, to the bookstore and look at a training plan? Like, what are you? Uh, I don't know, are there names to, to, I mean, just looking up these individual concepts or, I mean, where, like, where do you even go to, to kind of, if for someone who says, I don't want to think about this, I just kind of want it done for me. Is the only answer, go get a coach who, who really knows what they're doing? No, I mean, there's a lot of options. Yeah. You can always get a coach locally. You can find one online. Uh, you can get a custom training plan built for you. So you don't necessarily have the coach, but he's kind of building your training for you and telling you exactly how to do everything. Um, there's also just, you know, get a book by a great coach and follow that. You know, I really like Brad Hudson's book, run faster. Uh, that's a really fantastic book. There are training plans in there. Um, you know, every coach is going to structure things a little differently and there's a lot of different ways to do marathon training. Um, and you know, there's, uh, there's the Hansen's method, which I, I don't hundred, hundred percent agree with, but, um, it's not a bad method by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, so those are some books that are tried and true. Uh, they're great. I'm happy to recommend them. Uh, so I, I think a book is, is one of the best things that you can do aside from, you know, maybe getting a more custom solution, which you happen to offer on your site. I do write a lot of custom plans. That's right. Good. Um, okay, then let's let's uh, move on. Unless you got more workout stuff, I'm I'm actually excited to talk about this this idea of how you actually race differently uh, with a different goal in mind, with a, with a you know as a more advanced marathoner than the goal of just finish. Uh, what what goes into to race day that's different? 
Yeah. So from a, for a beginner, I mean, like we said before, the goal is really to finish. The goal is to um, make sure you're well rested. Uh, in terms of pacing, you want to go out pretty easy. Uh, if if you're doing any kind of run walk, then you want to walk often and walk early just to really make sure that you're capable of finishing the marathon. Um, and, you know, with a more advanced runner, it's just a different mindset. You're, you're, there's no question that you're going to finish the marathon unless some tragedy happens, like an injury or something crazy like that. Um, but you know, your goal is to run hard and you're really going to run that line. Uh, and the thing with advanced runners is that they typically know their body a little bit better. They know exactly what is too fast and what is slow to a 10 second per mile, uh, range. You know, they know that, you know, 720 pace is is way too fast, but 730 pace is just right. And 735 is too slow. So they're just much more dialed into smaller increments of, of changes in pace and how that will affect them maybe 10 miles later or, or even 20 miles later. Um, so there, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of just knowing your body and, and a, a willingness to push it to uh, a certain level that you think you're capable of holding for the whole marathon, but you're, you're, you're playing with fire admittedly. Uh, and I, and I think that's the big difference with pacing is advanced runners are just a little bit more willing to play with fire on race day because they have just more aggressive goals. Yeah. I think that what you said there, it's, it's kind of the first time I've thought of it in, in these terms, but that, that is exactly that that's describing the difference between me and my first marathon, which was just a disaster. I mean, compared to what I was trying to do, it was, it was a disaster. It was a four fifty three, and I'm not, not calling that slow for anyone for whom, you know, that that's a marathon time they're proud of. Uh, just when I went out with this goal of three ten and finished with that, it was like, God, I mean, it was just awful. Um, and then when I actually did qualify, it was, that's, that's such a good way of describing it that, that I, you know, and I don't mean just talking in my own terms, but a runner knows like where, what's, even if it's not a conscious thought, like I need to be at 7.30 because I know that, that if I run at 7.25 pace, I'm going to crash. Uh, it's more, for me, at least it was more of a, I can, I can feel this. I can feel, even without knowing what pace I'm running, I can feel that what I'm doing is going to come back and, and, you know, bite me eight miles from now. And that, that's such a difference. Like when I was just starting out, first of all, I didn't, didn't sense those changes as much. Second of all, I had no idea. Like, I didn't know to fear the consequence. I didn't know just how bad things could could go if if you are if you are five or ten seconds too fast, or some some you know equivalent feeling difference of feeling in your body too fast. Uh, it's just, it's just such a, a I don't know. I guess wisdom is is maybe the word to use. Something that comes. It's really hard to describe, hard to teach, but uh, it's just a big difference. And that's that's one of the reasons, among some physical reasons as well, that, that I tell people, like, just if you want to get faster, you want to get a lot faster, just keep running. Do everything you can to avoid injury. Make sure you keep getting out there month after month after month. And a few years from now, I mean, it's really hard not to be a faster runner. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, I think I think we should really underscore the fact that uh, you will just, you called it wisdom. Um, experience might be another a good adjective to use. It's just uh, knowing what an appropriate pace feels like. And that is a really hard thing to describe and to teach. That is what I struggle with as a coach uh, when people ask me what their you know, marathon goal pace should be. It's, it's really difficult. You can look at their half marathon time and, and make an educated guess, but uh, you know, it only comes from experience, from knowing your body, from having run a couple marathons before. You know, I, uh, for me personally, I had to run a bad marathon uh, 10 years after I started running 
to to even understand what I you know what's appropriate, what's not for me individually. So it, it, there's a lot of race experience that that comes into it, and uh, you know I would encourage runners to even beginner runners, advanced runners, no matter who you are. Go out there and run more races. Uh, I'm not saying race every weekend. Be strategic about it. But, you know, there's real value in knowing what your body body is capable of for one mile, for 5K, for 10K, you know, all the different race events. Try to get fast first in all these different events before the marathon. I think that's some great advice for everyone because uh, the marathon is admittedly a very challenging event. And, for you to excel at the marathon, for you to have a great successful marathon, even if, if that's three hours or four hours for you, it, it's only going to come after experience. And some of that experience is from racing shorter distances. Uh, so I, I think that's super valuable and something that uh, can teach a lot, of, a lot of runners more about themselves. All right. So specifically now, I mean, assuming that, that everybody's on the same page here, that, that a more advanced runner is going to be better at gauging pace or gauging the optimal pace, the pace that they can sustain that is still pretty close to the edge of, of how fast they can go. Um, given all that, what, you know, what, what specifics, what, what's going to happen differently during the course of a race? What should happen differently for an advanced runner? So we can talk about before the race happens. Okay. Uh, you know, yep. even, even to start with, sure. uh, you know, so a beginner is focused on finishing and they're probably not even going to do a warm up before the marathon and they'll just get on, they'll get in their corral. And when the gun goes off, they'll just start their race and they'll run, you know, whatever is appropriate for them. Now, an advanced runner is going to be running faster than their easy pace from the very start of the race. And you always want to warm up before you start running faster than your easy pace. So typically a, an advanced athlete will warm up for, you know, anywhere from five to 10 minutes. It's not a long warm up by any stretch, but it's, it's an easy running warm up just to get some extra blood flow to your legs, uh, to kind of wake your legs up, you know, activate some muscle memory and really get your body primed to run uh, a marathon. So, uh, you know, five to 10 minute warm up. you know, when I personally was w- doing war- these warm ups for marathons, I would run uh, five minutes and I would run it a little bit as a progression. So the first two minutes might be really easy. The next minutes kind of easy. Um, and then the last 30 seconds or so might be at my goal pace. And this is just to get some blood flow to open up some capillaries, uh, do everything that a good warm up should do. Uh, and, and then that will kind of, um, translate to your race where, okay, now you're warmed up, you're ready to roll and you can start your marathon right at your goal pace and then try to run as evenly as possible. You know, I'm a big believer in even pacing for the marathon, uh, unless you're an Olympian who is capable of running negative splits in the marathon, it's virtually impossible for us mere mortals. Even if you are a, you know, a 230, 240 marathoner, it's, it's really, really hard. Uh, we just, even a 230 marathoner just doesn't have the physiological tools at their disposal to, you know, drop like a crazy fast 5k, you know, in the last, um, you know, 10k of a marathon is way too hard. Mm -hmm. So even pacing is going to be really important for, uh, a, uh, an advanced runner, whereas a beginner, they probably want to take the first couple miles really easy uh, and, and do any walk breaks where necessary. So, you know, there's honestly like the pacing is a little bit different, but it's not that different. Okay. So just to clarify, when you say even pacing, are you are you mainly referring to the first half and the second half of the race or are you are you meaning each mile and, and each? Because and we've talked about this before. Like, this actually question comes up all the time uh, in Run Your BQ and, and elsewhere 
when people ask, like, how should I pace? This is a hilly course. How should I pace myself on these hills? And what we typically talk about uh, isn't exactly even pacing, but is but is keep, keeping a constant as much as possible level of exertion so that if you were wearing a heart monitor, which you're not necessarily recommending, but if you were to do that, uh, you'd be aiming to keep that heart rate mostly even. So when you hit a hill, you slow down enough so that your heart rate doesn't go up or down from where it was when you were running flat. Is that is that a fair enough simplification or is that an oversimplification of, of how you should pace yourself? Uh, that's pretty fair. I think that's that's a fair representation of how advanced runners should do things. Um, and any, even beginners too, you know, try to keep the effort the same, whether you're running uphill or downhill. So if it's a hilly course, you're going to slow up on the uphills. You can run a little bit faster on the downhills to make up for it. Uh, but again, the effort should be roughly the same throughout the entire duration of the race. Now, the difference with advanced runners is that, you know, like, again, we talked about kind of running that line, you're like almost on a tightrope. And uh, you can afford to be a little bit more aggressive on a hilly course if if you're giving yourself some recovery on the way down. Um, so if you you can you can hammer an uphill a little bit more aggressively, uh, knowing that that's going to you know increase your heart rate, knowing that you're going to you know might be introducing a little bit more lactate into your bloodstream than you really want to. Uh, but as long as you can, uh, as long as you're confident in your fitness level that you can recover from that, then I think that's an, uh, that's a good strategy too. And again, it really like if you're a 220 marathoner and you're flirting with an Olympic trials time, then yeah, you're going to really want to push that you know, push, push any pace, uh, even if you are going uphill, but for most of us, even if you are, you know, a three hour marathoner, uh, you can be a little bit aggressive on the uphills, uh, on a hilly course, but for the most part, you should run fairly even. And when I say even, I mean, as an effort, so hilly course, you're going to be slower on uphills and faster on downhills. Jason, you're not a believer in the the Galloway thing, are you with the, that, that even fast marathoners, like those aiming to break three hours can, can benefit by taking walk breaks or, or, I mean, cause it just seems, that seems so contrary to the idea of, uh, of even exertion. I mean, now every single mile, or not every mile, but I guess maybe it is every mile that they're doing like a, a five or 10 second walk break. Uh, it's like every mile you're inserting this, this thing that's totally the opposite of, of an even exertion by giving yourself this break. What, what do you think about all that? So two things. First, I would look at, you know, if we're talking about if this method is good for fast runners, I would look at fast runners. How are fast runners running fast marathoners? Uh, sorry, how are fast runners completing fast marathons? Well, they're running the whole thing. Hmm. They're not taking any walk breaks. I would, I would bet my, I would bet a lot of things on sub three hour marathoners. Uh, if you look at all the major races in the United States, I'd be very interested to see if there was I, five runners who uh, intentionally included walk breaks in in their race. Yeah, that, that was when I read that marathon book a long time ago, like really over ten years ago. Um, that there was a line in there that struck me where he he talked about dozens or hundreds of runners who had broken three hours as a result of using this method. Uh, which I, obviously any author is going to look for lots of instances of people having success with this method, and we don't know how many people failed as a result of of doing this. So it's not totally fair, but I always found that striking that that this method, which you know we're not arguing, is not a good idea for for beginner marathoners. I mean, that it's got it got me through some marathons in the early days when I probably would not have otherwise finished. Uh, but yeah, it just it just has always seemed such a, a not a good idea for for really trying to run your fastest marathon. 
No, I mean, it's a great strategy if if you need the recovery, if finishing the distance is a little bit of a stretch and, and you need to really take it easy sometimes to, to ensure that you can finish 26.2 miles. But, you know, if you're running, you know, a 245 marathon or something like that, then uh, there's, there's no point of a walk break because when you say you walk for 30 seconds, you've just lost 20 seconds. And for you to make up that time, you're going to have to run <laughs> – faster than your tempo pace. Uh, I'm thinking kind of about myself and how I would approach this. If I was trying to run, say, a 240 or 245 marathon, uh, you know, I'd have to run, you know, roughly 540 or 545 mile pace for an entire mile after I took a 30-second walk break. And that's, that's, the, that's doing it the hard way. Right, uh, right. I would rather run even and consistent rather than tire myself out by stopping to walk and, and trying to get going again. And I think we all intuitively know this. I mean, anytime, let's say you're trying to run fast for five minutes and you stop and walk for a minute in, be- in the middle of that five minute stretch, try to get up, try to start running again at that hard effort. And it's going to be a little bit more challenging because overcoming inertia and getting your body to start moving again like that is just more difficult. You know, I had some problems at the Boston Marathon where, you know, I had to make a couple stops and then I would try to get back on pace and try to run six minute mile pace. And it was really hard after, you know, admittedly being in a porta potty for a minute or two. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very, very challenging. And I I think that's just doing it the hard way. You want even pacing, uh, even effort, and it's just doing it uh, in a much easier fashion. Yeah, and in fairness to Jeff Galloway, I'm pretty sure that when he's talking about the fastest runners, and by that I think he means people running under three hours, uh, he's he's recommending like, I think it's like a 10-second, maybe even a five-second break every, might not even be every mile, might be every 10 minutes. So, I mean, it is a very small break. But I think think taking that, you know, to a more extreme level kind of serves to illustrate the point that it's probably not a good idea. Um, but you know, just don't want people to think that he's advocating that someone trying to break 250 is taking 30 second breaks every mile. Cause that, I think pretty much everyone would agree that is not, that's not the way to do it, including him. And I'd wonder about those 10 second breaks or so, like every 10 minutes. And even if it's his suggestion is a little bit different than that, I would just wonder, well, what is the actual benefit to that? Like what, like physiologically, what is that doing? Yeah. You're, I, you're not even giving your heart rate, your heart enough time to come down. Uh, and, and I just, I don't see the benefit there. Right, I, right. I just, uh, I'm not understanding the physiology behind the suggestion. Okay, well, I, I don't want to misquote him anymore, but you probably you've probably already butchered. <laughs> it might be a totally different uh, approach than we're talking about. But sorry, uh, Jeff. <laughs> we love you, Jeff. Uh, okay, so anything else, Jason, to talk about with pacing, race day, you know, all that stuff, or or is that that it? I mean, there's not that much more to, that can that could possibly be different, right? Uh, there's really not that much difference. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, here's a funny story that I think will encourage people to try to run better marathons. Um, I will say from experience, from talking to a lot of marathoners, it's a lot easier to run a faster marathon than a really slow marathon because you're not out there on your feet for as long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've said this to me, Matt, and I've had too many people that I can even count say this to me like, oh, how do you run a 239 marathon? And I'll say back, I don't know how you run a four and a half hour marathon. That's a lot of time on your feet. I don't, I've never run, I've never run longer than two hours and 47 minutes. That's the longest run I've ever done in my life. No, actually that's not true. Two hours and 58 minutes. But again, 
it's it's almost easier to run for a shorter period of time if your if your effort is is a little faster. So uh, hopefully we can encourage some people to focus on improvement. Uh, and running fast is pretty fun. So I hope people um, you know give give some of the workouts that we talked about uh, a try and plug those into their training so they can run a faster marathon. So running fast is pretty fun. Says the guy who doesn't even have to try to to break three hours. Who just who just uh, has has the gift to do that. Well, I've never run a hundred miles, and you've you've certainly put me in my place when it comes to that, Matt. Ah, you could do it if you tried a bit. <laughs> Just drop down to an eight thirty pace or something, and you could you could knock it out. I probably shouldn't have attempted my first ultra marathon at nine thousand feet altitude in the mountains. Oh, I forgot that you did that, and I don't know if I ever heard how it went. I remember you were doing that in Colorado, right? Yeah, that was uh, about a year ago. I I had to drop out uh, about. 17, 18 miles in with uh, an IT band injury. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, it didn't go so well, but I think uh, I bit off a little bit more than I could chew with, you know, it was my it was a 50K. Uh, it was in the mountains. It had over 7,500 feet of elevation gain, and the um, altitude ranged from like 8,000 to 10,000 feet. So it was just a grueling event, and I probably should have run a flatter, uh, much more manageable 50K to start. Hmm. Well, that makes me a little bit happy to hear that you did not finish an ultra. I know. You've done all <laughs> these things that I just can't do. <laughs> all right. Uh, Jason, this has been fun. I appreciate the expertise. I appreciate the, the chance to listen to you nerd out and absorb as much of it as I can. Uh, lots and lots of good stuff here. As we mentioned, we did a webinar last night. The replay is at nomadathlete.com slash replay. I think it'll be up through Sunday or Monday or so, which is a holiday of some kind. Uh, Labor Day, is that right? I always mix up Labor Day and Memorial Day, which is which is not. Yeah, right. Labor Day is this coming Monday. Okay, so uh, yeah, if you hear this before then, then uh, then you can go check that out. Uh, okay, I guess that is it. Check out all Jason's stuff, strengthrunning.com. There's all kinds of good stuff. He's a coach, as I mentioned, uh, does custom training plans, all kinds of good stuff, as well as you know the type of things that you find at No Meat Athlete, d- digital products and things like that. Uh, and of course, we are partners in a program called Run Your BQ, which which you'll hear about if you you check out that webinar replay. Uh, that is it. That is it for session number four of Nomad Athlete Radio Summer Running Camp. Jason, thank you for being our, our guest professor or whatever whatever the camp term for that would be. And... <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me, Matt. I'm glad I could be a part of the Salute Your Shorts series. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I'm glad, I'm glad you have an appreciation for Salute Your Shorts. It just oh, yeah, big time. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you later.